welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I'm Nick Axelrod-Welk. And I'm Annie Kriegbaum. And if we sound uh, weird today, it's because we're sharing the mic. We are next to each other. Is this called like Dutch? Riding Dutch? What is it called? When you're like on the same seat? I think it's called Dutch. Anyway, we're riding Dutch on this podcast episode. Annie's in LA. So if we sound a little funny, we're both using the same mic, which is a podcasting no-no. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Anyway, one thing I wanted to say at the top of the episode... Hold on. I just had something really important I wanted to say. We're not supposed to talk over each other, so... <laughs> hold, on. I just, hold on. Tame. I just literally had something to say. Anyway, Annie, what brings you... Well, you probably can't even tell us what brings you to LA, can you? Work. I'm working. Taking meetings, making deals, drinking green juice. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, th- I remember what I wanted to say, which is we... Talked about Patreon at the top of the episode last week, Ooh. and I'm just going to do a very quick tally of how many Patreons we have. Ooh, we just got a new one. Let's see. We are at... I have it right here. Do you want oh, me yeah. to give the stats? Yes. Okay, so we have 37 patrons. That's a lot, more than expected. Thank you very much. I think if you're the top tier, you get a shout out. If you're a milky, bouncy, super jelly star, we... Love you. Love you and appreciate you. There is exactly... One of you. One of you. And her name is Gia. And we love Gia. We love her support. I feel like what we need to sort of express is that we will continue to play this podcast like a fun drive until we can at least cover the cost of an episode. So we have 37 patrons. I thought they were called Patreons. And our goal is going to be after this episode airs... For, to get to 50 and then 100 and then the sky's the limit. And I don't want to put my parents on blast, but neither one of you. No, they did. Your parents did. Your mom accidentally joined the $50 tier and then quickly corrected it to like the $10 tier. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't see either of your parents. No, my parents, I mean, the fact my parents could not pick Patreon out of a lineup. They're my Patreons in other ways. So that's Patreon. Join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash eyewitnessbeauty. There's three different tiers, $5, $10, and $50 if you can expense it through work or if you just have $50 a month to throw around. It's going to be worth it. We're going to be creating a newsletter with links to everything we talk about in terms of products and culture. We're also going to do live Q&As and it also just helps make this podcast happen. It's a vanity project for us slash a passion project, depending on which side of the mic you're on. And we love doing it and we want to keep on doing it. We just need more support so that we can do it. And we've thrown around the idea of merch quite a bit, but we feel weird about creating physical things that, you know, what if worst case scenario, nobody wants it. And then we have all this stuff. But if you guys do want merch, can you let us know? And what would it be what would it look like? What is the funny catchphrase we say? We don't really have one. No. We could come up with one. Anyway, should we... Top stories. To me, the biggest story this week was an Instagram post that Linda Evangelista, the Linda, the I don't get out of bed for less than $10,000 a day, Linda Evangelista, posted on Instagram yesterday. Basically, it was just text on white saying that the reason she's been out of the public eye 
and not working as a model for the last several years is that she essentially was the victim of a botched cool sculpting procedure. Cool sculpting is some sort of a contraption that doctors and dermatologists and plastic surgeons have in their office to quote unquote melt fat. So you like get this laser applied to your body, like any your love handles. I've had it done. Oh what yeah. <laughs> I, no, I'm just gonna fly I'm just gonna fly blind. It's not a laser. It's basically like a vacuum and a cooling device in one. And so you get this like metal plate put on the part of your body that you want to target. For me I did I was like, I don't know, twenty five and I thought that my thighs needed it. And I mean, clearly I I have like body dysmorphia, so we'll just like get that out of the way. So I went in, it was so expensive. I couldn't afford it at the time. I think it was like $5,000 all in. And you sit there for, I think maybe 40 minutes on each side and they put this plate on your skin. It's probably the size of an iPad and it sucks the area into this vacuum while also like cooling it around the area that's being sucked in. And the idea is it's supposed to freeze and kill your fat cells. The dead fat cells then get excreted through apparently your urine. But a supposedly very rare side effect is something called PAH. I won't even try to use the scientific (laughs) term. And this is what Linda Evangelista experienced where it actually creates more fat cells and it actually makes the area larger. So the basically the treatment area, which is basically the size of a rectangle protrudes and is bigger. And so basically what Linda said on her Instagram was that she was brutally disfigured by cool sculpting. It did the opposite of what it promised. As Annie says, it increased, not decreased, fat cells and left her permanently deformed even after undergoing two painful, unsuccessful corrective surgeries. I have been left, as the media has described, quote-unquote, unrecognizable. You know, my heart goes out to Linda Evangelista because having any kind of a traumatic elective surgery has to feel very horrible and complicated. And not to mention that she's also sort of not been able to like capitalize on her fame and career the way that like a lot of the sort of 90s supermodels have maintained status and still done campaigns and shows. The other thing I think this speaks to is just like the way that the media describes women in paparazzi pictures. I Googled, of course, Linda Evangelista now after I read this Instagram post and one of the captions was something like the nineties supermodel looks unrecognizable. It's just like, it's so mean. And what she's saying is not only is she suffering physically, but it seems like she's also suffering emotionally and psychologically from the treatment she's received when any photos of her have leaked. So heart goes out to her, hopefully admitting this and acknowledging it on Instagram is like the first step in both making herself feel better. And maybe there'll be like a career renaissance. An asterisk here is to say, be careful about the elective procedures that you receive. And if you do get anything like this, a lot of these like procedures and technologies are relatively new. So make sure you do a ton of research learn about the doctor you're going to, all of the potential risks and downsides and upsides, and then make your decision based on that. But anyway, what else do we have this week? Annie has no fucking clue. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
Well, Ari, friend Ari, what did she release? You DM'd me her. She's been teasing REM Beauty, which is her beauty collection. She was on the cover of Allure this month wearing REM, but there haven't been any pictures of the packaging or of the actual products yet. She, on her REM Beauty Instagram, released just sort of bizarre pictures of her in like a space helmet kind of thing. It looks like something you could buy a design within reach as a a lighting fixture, and she just has it on her head. But again, I don't know if that means she's selling lighting fixtures or makeup. It's a palette. It's definitely a palette. I'm seeing some matte, maybe like a satin shimmer, uh, pressed shadow in like a 60s kind of cut crease cat eye, some false lashes, like a frosted pink lipstick, some highlighter. It looks like a highlighting powder. I think we're going to get a palette. Every brand is still doing palettes. I just found out about another brand doing palettes that I would not expect to do palettes. I mean... I just told Nick, you guys didn't see that because this is a podcast, not a TV show. (laughs) But yeah, I don't know. Palette. I I think we all need to return to singles. That's my platform. Why singles versus palettes as someone who's never used either? Because palettes, you really only end up using one or two of the shades. And then you're just left with these big CD sized objects that go unused. They get dirty. The world will end before any of us need to use these eyeshadows. If you are a medium to light skin toned woman or man that wears makeup, might I recommend Bobbi Brown's Taupe Pressed Shadow. Espresso's another good shade. All You Need, All I've Ever Needed. Bone, another great one. I would like to see a return to singles. This is a piece of news which should have both Annie and myself a little more nervous, which is that we have some competition in the body care space from none other than Tony Braxton of Unbreak My Heart. That Tony Braxton. Her brand is called Nude Sugar, and it's being billed as a vegan body care line. It's starting in Ulta Beauty. You can buy it there now. And there are two body creams. They're both $45. One is called the Cream, C-R-E-M, and there's an accent on the second E. And the Luminous Splendor, which has 6% glycolic acid, and it has claims to improve discoloration. There's also a $35 body serum and an $18 shower gel and an $18 hair mist. This is in Women's Wear Daily. Miss Braxton is quoted as saying, I've been trying to find something, particularly for my skin, women of color. And she's been working on it for two years. My favorite thing with celebrity brands is, <laughs> did we talk about this last week? When they're like, I've been working on this for two years. Yeah. It's like, That's <laughs> literally how long it takes to work on something like this. Um, not that impressed. But anyway, the nude sugar or sugar nude line. There's a typo on womenswearedaily.com. It's called nude sugar, not sugar nude. And it's available at Ulta. So let that be a warning to us. I am so glad to see that she's innovating on the spelling of the word cream. This is something that we did at Glossier, the priming moisturizer creme. If there's one thing that the beauty industry can do, it's spell the word cream a million different ways. So Tony is spelling it C-R-E with a accent M. At Glossier, the priming moisturizer, we spelled it creme, C-R-E-M-E, which is not a thing. Not a I real. I think that's, that's the French. <laughs> I don't think so. We're not French. 
No, it has a it has an accent. There's no accent on this one. You know, I feel like that just goes to show that if you say something with conviction, you can will it into Okay, truth. Elizabeth Holmes. <laughs> I think it's been a otherwise very light Newsweek, but that's okay because we have a meaty interview for you this week, which we will get to now. for you. We always try to accommodate our reader requests, as many of you know. One of our dear readers, Laura, sent us this New Yorker article. I believe it was in theme of us talking about scammers two episodes ago, which I would not put Ken Euphorics in the scammer category, but I think it came up when we were saying, oh, these are like really intense claims to make about like a soft drink. And I think it spiraled into this. Laura sent us this New Yorker article about Caroline Calloway. Caroline Calloway was joking that a cartoon about quote-unquote snake oil was actually like a review of her product. Um, Oh, it's not even about her. (laughs) No, I mean like Caroline Calloway, who, and I guess this is what the interview kind of starts out with, is I guess a self-proclaimed scammer. She's clever and she has a brand of face and body oils called snake oil. The New Yorker had published a long cartoon that was about sort of the idea of a skincare product that is essentially snake oil, but actually turns you into a snake face. All of which is to say it sent us down the rabbit hole of Caroline Calloway. I decided I wasn't going to learn a single thing about her. And Annie knew about her. She, for those of you who don't know, was and is a 20-something... Almost 30. Almost 30-year-old who went to... Cambridge in the UK for college. She started documenting her life on Instagram with a friend. Things got complicated, something, something, something. She got canceled for creating these expensive conferences where people would get to meet her. I don't know. Anyway, she explains it all. What I like about this interview, and not to give everything away, is that Caroline and I have a moment. We work through it. We get past it. And we hear about how she's sort of rebuilding her brand, rebuilding her image. Embracing the negativity, turning a negative into a positive. She was called a scammer. She said, you know what? You want to be scammed? I'll scam you. (laughs) (laughs) And in a sense, she's doing the opposite. She's telling us exactly what's in her products. She's putting it on the table. You'll find in this interview, she's very open about her experiences. And here's our conversation with Caroline. Caroline, thank you so much for doing this podcast. Yes, thank you so much for having me on Caller Daddy. It's been a lifetime (laughs) dream of mine. Thank you so much. (laughs) I have a disclosure first, which is that I've never done this before, but I intentionally didn't do any research on you and who you are and your background. Mm -hmm. Your name sounds familiar. And I know that you, because we got a reader question, I know you have a skincare brand called Snake Oil or a product called Snake Oil. I do. It's literal face oil, actually, and body oil. Are there two different oils, one for each or same oil? There are two different oils. Yes, because the face oil is really like nutrient rich. It's not at a prohibitively expensive price point. It's $75 for an ounce, which if you compare to like, you know, Goop charges 98 for the same 
volume of liquid and Venter's daughter is it's 198 almost like 200 for the same volume so it's not crazy expensive but I also wouldn't be putting $75 oil all over my body I would need to be a lot richer until I would do that so basically we just upped the only oil that actually like fights acne because you don't want to be getting you know pimples all over your body grapeseed oil it's like basically the only oil out there with anti-acne fighting properties so we just upped the grapeseed oil content so that the really expensive oils that are in it that are hard to find like neroli and clary sage and oh gosh frankincense so you get, I think, two ounces for $55, so twice as much for $20 less. It sounds like you're all buttoned up in that you like have done your competitive price mapping and you're talking like price per ounce. Like You sound yeah. like someone in the industry. Yeah, it sounds like you're actually not trying to scam people. So I'm confused because... Yeah, I know. It's like very off-brand for me. And I should probably try to realign more with my core values, which are just scamming. But... No, the, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> hold on, Carol. Caroline, where are you from? Where were you born and raised? I'm from Falls Church, Virginia. It's like when people say the D.C. suburbs, I would say most of the time they're talking about the nice suburbs with the azalea bushes and the white columns where the politicians live. Falls Church is like the Pawnee to the surrounding Eagletons. If you watch Parks and Rec, it's like the suburb of Virginia where it's like just parking lots and borders and blockbuster movies when that existed and Starbucks's. So I'm from there, which is neither the glamorous part of Virginia with horse country nor the glamorous part of Virginia that's like nicer, more spacious extension of DC. I went first went to boarding school in Alexandria, Virginia, and then I went to boarding school in New Hampshire. Which at one? Exeter. You went to Exeter? Oh my God. Yeah, that's yeah, hardcore. Yeah. I, I went to I've, Concord Academy no outside way, of Boston. No, you didn't. Because you guys were so much better at all sports than we were. Remember when I first got to boarding school being so struck by how many t-shirts everyone else had from like things that they were involved in in their life, just like running 5Ks and like turkey trots and their dad's old like yacht club t-shirts and mom's like sort of like vintage t-shirts from concerts that she went to or like garden club merch that they'd wear ironically and I just was like oh my god I, where are you getting all these fucking t-shirts from I just had no extracurricular bougie activities growing up and it just felt like people who didn't live in Falls Church had more of that but it was a culture shock that not many people like to talk about because it's uncomfortable I think we live in this sort of like suffering olympics where it's like if you weren't born into poverty just shut the fuck up about your experience because it's a dangerous thing to talk about but i think that's bullshit i think everyone has interesting stories to tell and we should absolutely end poverty but i just don't think that just because i didn't have the worst circumstances growing up then it makes everything i have to say irrelevant but i didn't say it was oh yeah no i was just hedging against i don't know i was trying to make it easier for you guys in the comments for just even talking about this on your podcast so okay you grew up where you grew up you had the experience you had and that's how we got here how did we get to a place then where you're prepping us for hateful comments that we're gonna get for posting this episode what happens between exeter without any cool t-shirts and then that 
Well, I, you know what, I think you might get a lot of positive comments, but I also, I took into account, I clocked the fact that you were like, I don't know anything about you. I'm coming into this blind. He says that with a good, I noticed a sense of, but I'm still judging you. I'm not judging. You I'm had, just saying that. No, but, I, but you said you were the queen of scammers. Like that's what Andy told me. So I just know that like you're a self-professed yeah. scammer. So that's all I know. Yeah. No, I think I was doing it to uh, put up sort of you know the bumpers that they put on bowling alleys yeah. to like help beginners. I think I was doing that both to like help future you, but also to comfort future me because I'm a huge fan of this podcast. No, this is a totally safe space. I mean, I've seen the headlines around. It seems like it all started to tell your story for you. Sorry about that. But it seems like the negativity started. And correct me if I'm wrong, maybe there was some bullshit before then. I actually feel like right now, like 2021 is like the coolest I've ever been. Like I actually feel like it's going really well and like sneak oil is going really well. But there have been such tough times in the media in the past. I mean, just this past week is the two year anniversary from when my ex best friend tried to take credit for my online presence and just present me as the worst person ever. And my dad killed himself. And it's just, I mean, like, times have been really bad. I mean, maybe I shouldn't think that things are going so well now, but they have gone so poorly in the past that I'm really like, two years later on, look at me now. Like, I've made such a turnaround in terms of cultural perception and, like, my ability to, like, take back my own story. Just to rewind, you've started telling your story online very openly. What On Instagram, you did long-form captions to your posts. That So hold on, hold on, hold on. So you're exactly. just, so you're, car- you're hold on, hold on. <laughs> So you're Caroline Calloway, you graduate from Exeter, you have a diploma, you go to college, I assume. I'm like, I apply to Cambridge, and Cambridge well, Cam- I mean, from, uh, yeah, I from an American, like, to get in as an American is incredibly hard. It is incredibly hard, but I really wanted to go, so I applied a second time, they reject me again, I start at NYU, I basically just throw myself into NYU, like, Hermione Granger without the time turner. I'm taking like a course and a half over the normal course load. I'm president of the freshman class. I intern at the Met. I'm taking all these advanced courses. I start my Instagram. And I didn't apply that year because I had to get all this stuff on my CV. And then my sophomore year, I apply a third time and I get in. And that allowed me to drop out of NYU. And for the first time in the year and a half, I actually had free time. First, I tried to become a writer and get a book published. And I actually called up some people from like the Exeter Exonian Alumni Network. And they were just like, who are you? No, like, no, you cannot have a book. Like you're, I'm sorry, let me get this straight. You're a sophomore at NYU and you want to write memoir? Like memoirs for people who have lived Oh, but hold on, you wanted to write a memoir? I've always only wanted to write memoir. You want to write nonfiction? Yeah, I don't write fiction or even nonfiction. I only write stories about my life. It's always been my dream. But so when you're 22, like what story is bursting out of you? Well, this has always been my theory about memoir, which is, did you know that Winston Churchill wrote over... I think 
10 books about World War II and his presence in saving Western civilization from the Nazis. And we don't read them at all because although he was a gifted statesman beyond belief, he was wordy as hell as a writer. He wasn't the most engaging narrator. And it's always been my belief that it's not about the story. It's how good the, the writer you are. lived. Yes. How compelling your voice is. And my whole life, I'd just been trying to figure out how to speak to people in a way that was highly readable, highly consumable, highly compelling. But you know, the thing that actually made me start my Instagram account was, I don't know if you guys remember Tucker Max, like the most misogynistic person ever. I remember him on Gawker. He was like one of the original like Gawker villains. He just wrote memoirs about like fucking girls and like picking them up at bars. But the way that he got his book deal was really revolutionary. He had www.tuckermax.com and he basically got enough hits to this website that he got this really great book deal and I basically looked at that and the year is now 2012 I have nine months to kill before school starts in October I have almost a full year until I need to like be doing stuff again And Instagram had been invented one year prior in 2011. And I'd been noticing like how addictive this app was. And I was like, you know what, I bet I could do what Tucker Max did. I could take that business model, apply it to Instagram and get a book deal. So you take as your model, like one of the most reviled at the time, misogynist asshole. Of course, because if he can do it, then and then she can do <laughs> yeah, it. But that doesn't exactly. seem to be your ethos. From what you've told me so far, that is not how you would have wanted to be discovered. Like that story. Yeah, I think that you need to separate content and business model. I know a smart business model when I see one. And what he did worked. And I was like, it can work for me. So I bought 40,000 fake Instagram followers. So is that where like the scam kind of began? Retroactively, my best friend at the time who I hired to help me write captions would later use that fact definitely as like evidence of my scamminess. So I hired my best friend to help write Instagram captions for this audience of basically no one. And I needed not only her skill as a writer, but her emotional support as a friend because I was really insecure starting out on this venture. Then I moved to Cambridge in the fall. I take a couple months to get settled. But later that spring, I having made friends and gone settled, I sort of return anew to the idea of building this Instagram account. And I start writing alone. And over this past year, Instagram as an app has changed. But This time, there are new kinds of creators starting to emerge. Not everyone's, you know, posting prom dresses. And everyone I'm going to school with is, like, reading these as well. So, like, it's not just the people I don't know who I'm trying to recruit. It's the people who are already in my life who I'm trying not to alienate. You have an audience at this point, like a legitimate audience at this point. I would say I gained probably like three or 4,000 followers during the summer in New York with Natalie. And so that spring I fall in love. I have a supportive boyfriend and he sort of fills the emotional support role that Natalie was providing before. And this time I write alone. And Natalie and I, we haven't spoken since the fall. And over the next three years, alone, I write all these captions about my life at Cambridge. And I keep buying ads. What do you mean buying ads? I hate when people are like, I saw this coming before everyone else. It's like, okay, Brooklyn hipster, like you were the first person who knew about Vampire Weekend. We get it. Like, I just think that's such a like douchey thing to ever say. 
But I truly did see the potential for influencer marketing before the concept existed. I would like reach out to accounts on Instagram and the messaging feature within the app didn't exist yet. So I'd have to comment on their post, get an email or like kick messenger was like really big. We're now like 2014, 2015. I would contact them. My standard rate was always $50 via PayPal for 10 grid posts, which works out to $5 a post. This would be a brand and you would say, I'll do 10 posts. No, no, 2014, 2015, brands are only just starting to get onto Instagram and they're not working with influencers. They would never post an ad for an influencer. The people I started posting with just like other influencer girls, just asking them to like post about me. And then- What would they post? Would they like repost you or would they just like- I'd literally just be like a post from my grid that was particularly aesthetic that would like fit with their grid. So like regram Caroline Calloway. Yes, exactly. They do this on OnlyFans. Some people on OnlyFans who like will in their feed on OnlyFans post another creator's like stuff being like... That's a great example. Yeah, Nick, it's like early days OnlyFans marketing. Okay, got it. So you were like exchanging money for cross promotion on different influencer accounts. But meanwhile, over these three years, I'm churning out the long form captions that I'd later become known for where, you know, they're characters and everyone has but a story. But to be a fact checker, you now yes. are leveraging 40,000 fake followers to command a price for exposure on your platform. No, 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 no. Paying she's them. paying other people to post about her. I'm using my savings from the Falls Church Farmers Market. Keep up, Nick. Oh, so when you're saying you're making ads, you're not putting ads on your account. You're no, I'm buying ads for you yeah, on for other me. people's accounts. I'm investing in my business. Like I'm sinking all of my savings into this. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. So I do this for three years and I get better at it. So over those three years, I go from or 40 fake thousand, 5,000 real to half a million. Wow. But I also, when Natalie and I used to write together, we used to just like dabble in drugs. Like I would always buy us weed and she gave me my first Adderall. And during my first year at Cambridge, it wasn't really a problem. But by my third year, balancing, getting a degree at Cambridge, building this brand, trying to have friends and falling in love, like real deep first, not even first love, but like first adult love, I just start taking more and more. And then suddenly I can't stop taking it. Adderall? Adderall. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are are you you prescribed? prescribed? I'm on so much Adderall. So you're in a safe space. Yeah. I really think that Adderall can change people's lives for the better if it's something their doctor recommends. But I literally typed in Adderall into Yelp during that time after NYU, before I started Cambridge, after Natalie introduced me to it. I typed in Adderall to Yelp, sorted by least stars first, and just found a review that's like, this guy's not a doctor. He's just prescribing pills. So I started buying it on my own from him. Yes, I did have a prescription. Yes, my name was on the bottle. Was it a real prescription? Got it. But got it, got it, got it. You weren't buying it on the street. Oh, no. I was, well, as the years went on, I would basically like, there was truly a three year period in my life when I could not find enough people to buy Adderall from, like drug dealers, friends, like this doctor guy. Like, my problem was like, I didn't have enough sources for it. Are you writing about this on your Instagram? 
Instagram, like the real stuff that's going on? Or what are you writing about at this point? So nothing on my Instagram is ever untrue because, you know, I am going to these balls. I am dating the person I say I'm dating. I go to Cambridge. But I realized very early on once I start meeting with literary agents that it's not just that if I reveal that I have a pill addiction, that grownups who control book advances will be less eager to work with me. It's a larger cultural problem than that. This is 2015, 2016, pre-Me Too. At this point, we're five years deep into a cultural conversation about how messy, how fucked up, how dark our female leads can be. And for us to still treat them with the same acceptance that we give like male leads. And I, although I was like the writer and director, I was also the lead in my own story. And I felt a very conscious pressure to keep out anything that would make myself less marketable and that would cut down what I would be paid for a book advance. Meaning you felt like at the time, the fact that you had this like addiction story, quote unquote, to talk about, you would be seen by like the literary establishment as a liability or like as like a sad girl memoir less and marketable. less money than like inside the Creon ball. Yes, both of those things at once. Yes, both and. A fairy tale book about the Julia Roberts character meeting Hugh Grant's at Cambridge. In 2016, that book was worth more money than a book about a girl going through a pill addiction and also meeting Hugh Grant. It was just it was just a safer bet and people would give me more money and I also just like comments like you know in this podcast being like but you were 22 like what did you have to say? Like I've been dealing with those comments my whole life and I've had the same dream my whole life and I really thought that if I got this big book advance that it would really prove those people wrong and I'd finally be happy. So that was really motivating me as well. But hold on. In my defense, to <laughs> like when you say talk. you want to write a memoir, that's a story of your life. You're only 22 years into your life. So it's a fair question to say like what has transpired but in those Nick, 22 I mean, look years. But Nick, look well, at actually, like, no, said, oh, I want to write a book of essays <laughs> about high school. I'd be like, okay, of course, like that makes sense. But memoir is a different thing. Well, actually, no, Nick, you're incorrect. An autobiography is the story of a life. A memoir is actually a story of memories, so it doesn't need to be about a whole life. But what were you going to say, Annie? Well, I'm saying like people are interested in probably what you're thinking or referring to as a more mundane, like unexciting, un, not the big accomplishments that might fit into an autobiography or like your version of a memoir. It's like social media is that every day. It is the documenting of the mundane or the things that like. Yeah. And it is interesting that I said it that way and that that hit you like that because that is real, right? That I said that and that yeah. you were like. And I also yeah. just felt like as a young girl growing up, there isn't a lot of stories that are like the stuff you're going through. But anyways, I rehire Natalie to help me write this book proposal so we write this book proposal. It sells for half a million dollars. And the story is like Julia Roberts meets Hugh Grant based on your you and your boyfriend. Exactly. They gave me like $120,000. I gave 20 to Natalie, which she never had to pay back. And I spent 100 basically on amphetamines almost immediately. And like not within 48 hours, but like you would be shocked how fast you can spend 100 grand when you are really high on Adderall. And I spiraled for another year, took two years off the internet, 
came back to the internet, I throw these workshops, these creativity workshops, go viral as a scammer. Basically, Twitter was like $165 for a six-hour mean greet with wine and food and coffee and dessert is insane. And I really should have been like, fuck you. If you don't want a ticket, don't fucking buy one. I'm giving out mason jars because they're inside jokes with me and the community I've built myself. But I absolutely just crumpled under the like public pressure, tried to apologize, gave all the money back, canceled the tour, redid the tour or like ended up doing it because I eventually realized that like, you can't just apologize to these people. What were people signing up for, though, like that bought the tickets? It, was it like one on one time with you to talk about becoming a writer or? So these events were basically like me telling stories for six hours and answering questions and talking about my life. And there were goodie bags with just things that were like inside jokes to us over the years. Silly things like morning pages books from the artist way or wildflower seeds or mason jars. And Twitter just like ripped this. like. But it wasn't like a fire festival situation where no, people would show no. up and it was like a folding chair and no one was there. It was like, why the fuck is anyone spending $165 to hear this white woman talk about how sad she is for six hours? Were the attendees saying that or these were people that didn't know you before that were just like coming as outsiders? That I just did one in New York, one in D.C., and we served like 80 people. And out of those 80 people who came the first weekend, one said they didn't like it, which I think is kind of a amazing statistic. And when I sent people's money back, a lot of people sent the money back to me being like, why are you refunding me for this? Like I had the best time. But you go back to like the articles about so the the phrase this influencer is a one woman fire festival was like reused by many news outlets. Oh really? I just came up with that. I had not. I oh yeah, know yeah. That that no, th- actually... your viral instincts are spot fucking on, my friend. Like that <laughs> went so viral. But if you go back and read these articles, it's so funny because when I uncanceled the tour, I invited reporters in. Because the number one thing I had going for me was that like the people who these events were made for actually really liked them. And you'll read their stories and it'll be like, snark, snark, snark about this girl, snark, snark, snark. And then a quote with someone there being like, this is the best day of my life. I'm having a great time. And then it's just like back to like how dumb it is that I put empty mason jars in a goodie bag. But anyways, Natalie saw an opportunity, reached out to The Cut, pitched her story when all this was going on. Six months later, it's published. My dad died. And that blows up even bigger. And Natalie says that she wrote everything? Yes, yes. Well, she basically just leaves out the three years when I build my brand myself. Her story is about when we wrote together for an audience of 40,000. And then her story picks back up when we're co-writing the book proposal. And she also just leaves out. I had to apologize to her and make amends and make a catalog of all the things I ever did wrong to her. And she was very much a part of that recovery process. And although she was the first one to give me Adderall, she was also the first one to be like, this is out of control and I think you have a problem. But she cut out the addiction part from her story. Yeah, she just didn't mention it. So it just made me seem I was an awful person during my addiction, but like I could never write an essay for the cut about my mom's cancer before we knew it was diagnosed and describe the symptoms of her disease, like lethargy or exhaustion, as character flaws, like laziness, and then never reveal that it was cancer. Like ethically, we just, that wouldn't fly for physical disease. But, you know, we have a lot of stigma in our culture around mental illness, around addiction. And Natalie 
very smartly identified a loophole where no one would like no, no one's up in arms about that except for me. I'm like the only one who cares. Did she write it because she felt like you were getting something that she felt she deserved because of the things you did? Like, what was her motivation? Honestly, I think that I was a very bad friend to her during my addiction. Imagine knowing someone for like two years and they just don't ask you about yourself once. All they care about is their degree and their boyfriend and their book deal and their pills. And I think she just felt really unseen. And instead of extricating herself from the situation or even talking to me about it, the way she talked to me about my Adderall addiction, she just pretended like everything was fine. And I think it created this like really simmering rage. She was angry and resentful. Yeah. And she wanted to punish me and hurt me on like the largest scale possible. Yeah. So that comes out. There was one point when I was talking where I was like, this is so not on topic to their beauty podcast. Should I even like go into all this stuff? And then I thought to myself, okay, wait, I have a really relevant point to a beauty podcast, which I'm going to tie in. During my addiction, since I was on amphetamines, I like didn't sleep for like three years. And so it was so bad for my skin. It's not that Adderall is so bad. It's dehydrating. Be very careful. Well, it's dehydrating because you forget to drink water. But also sleep is just like when your skin repairs itself. So the way that snake oil started is that I started Googling like during those two years I was gone from the internet. I started Googling just like what oils help DNA repair, collagen production, fine line reduction. I actually still had access to my JSTOR account when I started like looking for these things. So for people who don't know, JSTOR is like a database that's really expensive to have a subscription to. It's like clinical studies, MIT research, all the most fancy. Fancy. Johns Hopkins. People, just like really good stuff. Yeah. And I started making it during those two years. And when I came back to the internet and immediately went viral as a scammer, I was like, oh my God, now I can never release my like face oil line because obviously people will call it snake oil. And it just hit me. Like truly, I was just like walking around this summer when I was like, wait, I should just call it snake oil. And yeah, this is the roundabout story of how I started snake oil. It truly (laughs) began as like me just looking like fucking father time after I came out of my amphetamine addiction and being like, Good God, I look awful. My like go-to cocktail party joke that I tell is Kat Marnell and I used to have the same literary agent, but he dropped me because I was too sick. And he's still <laughs> Kat Marnell's literary agent. That's a true story. That's a true That's pretty fucking good. story. When did you get sober? I stopped May 2017. So actually May next year will be my five year. Like, is this how the podcast usually works? You have someone on They monologue for like 15 hours about their life. And then they're like, so back to beauty. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. I'm sure you've talked about a lot of that stuff ad nauseum, but it was all news to me. What would you say your, I mean, like the term fatal flaws coming to me, but like, what would you say was the impetus for your first undoing? Because you're also what? How old are you? Younger than 30. Now I'm 29. So you're 29. You have two thirds of your life ahead of you. So the rest is still unwritten, as Natasha Bedingfield <laughs> says. But what up until now do you think was the thing that caused the issues you've had up until this point? I really think it was not treating 
the suicidal depression that I inherited from my father. I didn't grow up with any access to therapy or antidepressants. And so I just turned to like the nearest euphoric pill available. Yeah. And I think it's very hard to make clear headed decisions when you're high as balls. And it's even harder to make clear headed decisions when you become addicted to that thing that's making you high as balls. And now you're high as balls for a while. It wasn't until I was 28 that I finally paid back that $100,000 to my publishers. I very much feel that like even at 29, like I'm still like picking up the, the pieces of how much damage I did in my life. That is poignant because you were a kid and made some bad decisions. You were addicted to drugs and you're now almost five years sober and you have the rest of your life ahead of you. And it's sad for me to think, I just feel like in the age of social media, people can feel like this is it. And it's like, wait, this is like one chapter of a very long book that all of us are writing about our own lives or reading or hearing on audio. And so it's sad that you would think that after all this, you don't know what to do because you're still so young. Oh, I mean, I definitely know what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to write books. In fact, I'm now titling my first book Scammer. I'm still going to be a memoirist. It's not like I don't know what to do at all. I, In fact, I know, I would say with more clarity what I want to do. I want to be financially independent by having brands like Snake Oil so that I don't need to rely on what publishers think is going to do best in the market plot wise. And I can really just make the books I want to make. So do you plan on self-publishing or what? Yeah, Scammer is going to be self-published, mm -hmm. funded by Snake Oil Money. I also sell paintings. I really love to paint. I don't think it's my calling in the same way I want to be a writer, but I do love it. And I want to write all the things that I sold to publishers because they're interesting and glamorous and exciting. But I also want to write a book that includes like all the darkness that I left out. How is writing not on Adderall? I can't imagine it. Yeah, it's really tough. But like you probably need Adderall. Like yeah. it's a good thing that it exists in your life. For me, it's like this is how I should have been the whole time. I never needed Adderall yeah. to begin with. But yeah, it's really it's really hard. But I just wanted to say this to you, Nick. I didn't mean to get testy with you before. It's just that I think something I really struggle with is like because Natalie did such a good job of getting her version of events out in New York Magazine and people were so eager to believe it. I mean, it, it looked so bad. I had bought 40,000 followers. I, at the time, was in $100,000 worth of debt to my publishers that like no one knew whether or not I'd ever pay back. In law, they called these bad facts. Bad facts. There were a lot of bad facts. And, you know, I believe in myself as a writer. And I think the book that I write, I think it will be really big. And I think it will do really well. But until that book exists, it's definitely a raw nerve for me when I struggle with the fact that I live in a reality where people may be disinclined to like believe me like they'd rather believe Natalie's version of events that like maybe my addiction didn't exist and I was just like a shitty person or maybe I was trying to scam people because again I'm a shitty person and so I just want to apologize because I didn't mean to no I want to apologize because I think in 
yeah. sort of on your No, podcast. oh my God, you weren't at all. I think I just like, in playing back what I said, it's diminishing and it's sort of a condescending guy thing to say to a woman. And that's not where I was coming from. Where I was thinking was more like, you're so young, you know, what like a memoir to me is like my time in office. <laughs> you know what I mean by like Barack Obama? Totally. And so I was like comparing it to that where you have all these stories that have yet to be told. But I guess the point that you very rightly made, which is number one, you don't fucking know me. Like, like, I might have a lot of stories to tell. Um, and number two, like, that is sexist. Andy, where did you find him? Are you literally kidding me? Of all the things I thought you were going to say, I did not see this coming at all. And that means so much to me. And I just appreciate that so much. When I sold the big Cambridge book deal, I wanted to call it And We Were Like... Because I hate the way that like people make fun of young girls for saying like in their speech. I don't like that at all. But and we were like is a grammatically correct way to describe how a group of people were at a certain point in time. And I loved that like double meaning. The publishers made me change it to schoolgirl. I was literally at Cambridge University. And the way that this book would be most publishable is if I reduced my experience to a porn category to like a literal like cultural fetish i just in the same way that it hit on a raw nerve for me with the same depth and sincerity i appreciate you saying that so much annie and i were just talking about how i think because i didn't live an experience as like a young girl like i think there are just a lot of things that happen that are not you know capital t traumatic in the sense that like society would view them as yeah. but that are like low key traumatic same thing with like young gay guys in when i was growing up like shit that i did or that happened to me that sounds bad and like probably affected me more than i think about so i just wanted to annie <laughs> what did i do this guy? <laughs> Great. So Caroline, how can we find snake oil? How did you make it all happen? Wait, it's actually so crazy. The first batch, I truly didn't think people would buy it. When I first launched it, I had three bottles, three bottles to sell because I thought that's like how many people would want it. I was making the labels by hand. I was so underprepared. We now have labels. It all happened so quickly. What are your sales like? The sales are really good. The sales are like, I actually had investors wanting to have the company. And I think what I'm going to do is use the data of how well it's been selling to take out a small loan from the bank. And this batch, so how do I mix it? Fully in my apartment. Just big Streganona vibes. Like, just, you know, witch and cauldron, me and all my oils. Just uh, These are the oils that are in it, by the way. It's grapeseed, pomegranate seeds, sandalwood, geranium, carrot seed, lemon peel, Elang-elang, frankincense, clary sage, neroli, rosemary, and lavender. And they all have different anti-aging properties. And this batch that we're shipping out next week is the last batch I'm making in my apartment because one of the people... So I think I might still take out a loan so that I can retain a majority stakeholder interest in the brand of snake oil. But I'm going to be partnering with a skincare shipment and fulfillment facility out of Los Angeles, which will be taking care of all the orders. I think we're going to have a little pause in October and they'll pick up in November right before the holidays. Do you have a website for snake oil skin? Yes, carolinecalloway.com. And it also has pre-orders for my book, Scammer. There you go. Perfect. It's time for product of the week, and I'm a little embarrassed to admit my product of the week right now because 
as we were driving to record this episode, I started talking about this product and Annie shut me down really quickly. But my product of the week is the Vacation Sunscreen Air Freshener. And this is only relevant to people who, well, no, I guess anywhere you want your air freshened, particularly or obviously in a car, Vacation Sunscreen, which is probably a sunscreen brand you've seen on Instagram, their branding is very 90s inspired. Think Newport ads from the 90s. Happy, beachy, sunglasses, water skiing, really kind of playing into that like idealized retro 90s joy. They have a sunscreen that's a mineral sunscreen. They have a chemical sunscreen. They have an eau de parfum that they have, or it might be a toilette, that they created with just the fragrance that's in their sunscreen, which they created with Carlos Huber, who was the designer of Arquiste fragrances, like that very high-end fragrance brand. He created what he sort of felt was like the epitome of sunscreen summer vacation. Coconutty, vanilla-y, a little bit of like florally vibes. Anyway, they have a fragrance. You can actually wear it, but I like it as a air freshener, which I keep in my car. Everyone who gets into my car is like, oh my God, it smells so amazing. Again, it's just sort of like light and coconutty and vanilla-y and fresh and sunscreeny. The vacation air freshener is $5.00. You can get a vacation summer leisure pack, which is the sunscreen, a spritz, and two air fresheners for $30. And I recommend it. It's like a happy smell. Air fresheners got a bad rap because I guess the ones that you would see, like the Christmas tree shaped ones, have phthalates in them. So you're basically just like blowing phthalates into the air. But for $5, you can take a chance. You can buy it on vacation.inc and make your car or your office or your bathroom smell like vacation. Annie, what do you have? Well, as we've been recording this, somebody asked me about details on my makeup look because I posted a story of us together thinking I made a funny joke. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't tag you. So I guess I'll just tell you guys what. So Back to Bobbi Brown, taupe, single eyeshadow. I use it in my crease. I line my under eye with it. And I like elongate the sides of my eyes with like a really long, fluffy eyeshadow blending brush that I just fan out the edge of my eyebrows on the outer parts of my face. So I kind of get a shadowy cat eye effect without any liner, if that makes sense. What else? Oh, the Charlotte Tilbury, I believe it's a contour gel. I think I've talked about it on this podcast before. I have no idea how people contour with it. It's so dark. I use it as a bronzer, the high points of my face in the middle of my nose, on my chin, on the top of my forehead, and then like around the C-shape of my eyes. Glossier Boy Brow in Brown. Byredo's waterproof mascara is genius. It's the best mascara in the entire world. And Glossier Cloud Paint in the orange color. I think it's Beam. It's a dupe for the old Becca Cosmetics. They had a liquid blush, and that was what inspired Cloud Paint. And so they don't make any more. Get this one. It's really good. And that's it. So, Gabriella, that one's for you. And that's our episode Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Our podcast is produced by Jessamyn Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our theme music is by Danny Prezan, and our cover art is by Simon Abronowitz. 
You can follow us on Instagram at eyewitnessbeauty, and you can email us at hi at eyewitnessbeauty.com. You can go to Apple Podcasts, and you can rate, review, subscribe, and talk about why you like the show. Don't leave a bad review just because we interviewed Caroline Calloway. I think she thinks that you guys are going to do that, but I don't think that you will. In fact, I think it will give us money instead on our Patreon. You can donate or subscribe. It's not really a donation, right? It's an exchange of goods. I didn't realize you can kind of just choose what you do, too. I see people doing $20. We don't have a $20 thing. Basically, we need your money. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.